Welcome Hi, to Aetherius Radio Live, the Hour of Truth with Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. Hello, everybody. A very radio live. Your host, Chrissy Blaze, will be joined by her guest, Mark Bennett, and they'll be discussing a very thought-provoking topic, Can You Know a Master You've Never Met? So without further ado, it's my great pleasure to hand you over to Chrissy Blaze and her guest, Mark Bennett. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody, and hello, Mark. Welcome to this show. Hi, Chrissy. Great to be here. A very warm welcome to all our regular listeners and those who are new to Aetherius Radio Live. Our sincere wishes that you're all keeping safe and well during this very difficult time for us all, and we thank you for joining us. The Aetherius Society continues to be extremely active during this coronavirus pandemic with an intensive program of services and lectures both online and live-streamed. When you visit Aetherius.org, our website, at the top of every page, there is a red banner where you can click on the relevant links that will guide you to the various services being held. And you are warmly welcome to join with like-minded people wanting to spread light, love, and healing out into our world. From September the 3rd to October the 9th, we're in the third spiritual push for 2020, when once again that shining temple of light, the giant spacecraft known as the third satellite, is in orbit of this world during which all spiritual actions performed with a selfless motive are enhanced by a factor of 3,000 times. Extra online services will be held during this spiritual push, details of which are available on Aetherius.org and also on 12blessings.org. That is 12 in digits. You are warmly invited to join with us in sending out much-needed spiritual energy to bring harmony to our world. Hello once again, everybody. I want to begin by letting you know that my co-host, Richard Lawrence, is away at the moment, but I'm very pleased to introduce our guest today, Mark Bennett, who has been on the show before. Mark is also at the European headquarters in London and is an international director of the Assyria Society. Mark is an author and regular media guest. And I want to begin by welcoming you, Mark, back to Aetherius Radio Live. And it's great to have Thank you, you here. Thank you, Chrissy. Yeah, great to be back. Good. Well, so are you going to introduce our, our topic? Absolutely. I want to say that Mark, as, as was announced earlier, chose a very thought-provoking topic, and one which is extremely important. Can you know a master you've never met? After all, many billions of people on this planet follow masters, whether it's the Master Jesus, the Lord Buddha, Sri Krishna, etc. Although obviously the power and light of these cosmic masters has reverberated down through the centuries, the people who follow them and their teachings have not met them. And today we will be discussing this topic also in relation to the late Dr. George King, the cosmic avatar who is also the founder of the Aetherius Society. Although he only passed away in 1997, still many people in the society today never had that opportunity to meet him. So the question is, 
how can all these people who follow masters they have never met ever really know that master? So over to you, Mark, to help begin to answer this question. Um, yeah, well, it's, this is a topic that's very close to my heart because, of course, I never even met uh, Dr. George King. Uh, and now many of my colleagues not only met him but worked with him. Uh, in some cases, uh, you know, you can have a conversation with people who actually lived with him year after year after year. So there's a kind of a tendency, well, um, uh, there was a tendency in me, let's say, to sort of wonder, well, you know, to feel that I've missed out and to wonder, you know, if I can ever really, um, you know, get close to our master, uh, Dr. George King, without having had that kind of experience. And I think, first of all, I'd like to say that I think, you know, meeting him in the flesh, I mean, must be, a, you know, an amazing experience. And they were amazing times when he was alive. Um, and those times will never be the, you know, that they, they will not happen again. But that doesn't mean to say that other times won't happen that uh, are also extremely important and give us an opportunity to come closer to him in a, in a, in, in a deep, spiritual way and just before I go on actually I'd like to read something to this effect and this is an extract taken from a self-development class given by Dr. King uh, in 1966 <clears throat> there is a karmic link between a teacher and a pupil and if a pupil really advances then they can and do take into themselves more and more of the higher attributes of the teachings. This is an absolute fact. And of course there is a statement too that when the pupil is ready, the teacher appears. And this too is an absolute fact. The teacher has to, by law, take the next step with those pupils who are ready. If he cannot do so, then the right teacher is brought along to be able to do so. This is one of the laws of karma, and it's greater than all of us. It's greater than the world, and it's greater than the solar system, and even the suns, because it's one of the great laws, been known about for thousands of years on Earth. It appertains not only on this Earth, but on all inhabited planets throughout this galaxy anyway, that when the pupil is ready, the teacher does appear. In other words, when the pupil is ready for the next essential step onward, they will be able to take that step. They will be helped in one way or another to take that step. And a student does begin to absorb some of the deeper aspects of the teachings and some of the deeper aspects of the teacher too. This too is a fact. If you study diligently under a teacher who is any good at all, and you really study diligently, whether you come into physical contact with that individual or not, you begin to absorb some of his higher knowledge, which he may not have imparted to you by word of mouth. This is a fact too. And it's because of this that I, for one, am extremely keen that students do work as hard as possible for their own benefits, because you can benefit in every way. You don't necessarily have to benefit in a way which is apparent to you now. You may benefit in other ways which are not apparent to you at this time. This is a fact too. All these things have been proven throughout the years. The yogis knew about them thousands of years ago, and the same law applies today 
that did then. The law hasn't altered. So what I'd just like to highlight there, Chrissy, is um, that the fact that the Master says that a student does begin to absorb some of the deeper aspects of the teaching and some of the deeper aspects of the teacher too. Um, and I'm just cutting, cutting uh, through a few lines. Absorb some of his higher knowledge which he may not have imparted to you by word of mouth. So there we have it, that he's absolutely telling us that um, by our diligence um, as his pupil, whether we've met him or not, whether he's ever said these things or not, that we can absorb some of the deeper aspects of his teachings and even of his own self. So some of the deeper aspects of the teacher too. So presumably that means his abilities, possibly his personality. Um, I hardly know where to begin, really. It's such a mind-bogglingly wonderful thought that we can absorb some deeper aspects of a great cosmic avatar uh, like Dr. George King, or indeed any cosmic avatar, if we put the effort in. Yes, that's a very good point, Mark. And I think uh, a trick is, or the, one of the secrets is the diligent sort of not just studying the teachings, but also uh, putting them into practice, obviously. And you're a good example of that, Mark. You know, you didn't meet the master, and yet you worked really hard to emulate him and the way he operated and so forth, to get to know as much as you can about him. And yet someone else could have met the master physically and yet never really put any effort into that relationship so I think that really is the key, isn't it? It's a tr really is a truth, important truth. Because yeah, that, physically uh, meeting him doesn't guarantee that you will know all about him. You know, no, well, all. just as with, with anyone in life, you meet someone, it doesn't mean you know them. Um, it's, um, it, it's, it's nevertheless, though, I mean, it, it is the... Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm sort of being lazy here. It would just be so wonderful to have met him um, that it is, you know, it is a difficult, sometimes a slightly difficult pill to swallow that, that well, it'll, I don't know about n never, I mean, who knows what might happen in lives to come. But basically, in this life, I, I, I will never have that opportunity. But I say it's kind of lazy in that what I should be focusing on more is trying more and more to be a better pupil, and then I can develop that spiritual relationship with him, um, as you say, Chrissy, maybe better even than someone who, who did meet him. Absolutely, I think so. And you know what, Mark, I'm sure you have regrets about that. But, you know, everyone has regrets. I mean, I met the master, I worked with the master, I had that wonderful opportunity, but because I did, and the mistakes I made, and the opportunities I lost, I too have very deep felt regrets. So, you know, I mean, I know it's a different thing, and I know it's a difficult yeah, that's thing. A very, but... That's a very good point, because uh, I've talked to, obviously, loads of people who's, who've worked with, with the master, and that is one thing that I, I don't have to deal with, is the, uh, yeah. the regret, the feeling, oh, God, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I make that mistake? Uh, why did I upset him that day? I, I don't have to deal with that. So that's kind of the upside of that, I think. 
Yeah, we, we can't dwell on the regrets. You know, the same with me and you and people who have met him or haven't met him. Uh, we just have to keep forging ahead. And I, I, I think often of um, St. Paul the Apostle who never met Jesus. And, you know, as I mentioned, there are many people who follow avatars, the founders of the great religions. They never met him. But Paul was such a great example, uh, such an important figure in Christianity, still important even today, because he wrote, I think, about half of the books in the New Testament, and some of his works are like the vital roots of the theology of this great religion. But although he was alive, he was alive even at the time of Jesus, he never physically met him. And in fact, he was on a mission to persecute early Christians. And it wasn't until um, the ascended Jesus appeared to him, and I think we all know the story on the road to Damascus, uh, Master Jesus appeared in a great light, and he had a conversion, and apparently he was blinded for three days, and after that, he never again persecuted Christians, and instead began to preach Christianity far and wide. And so here is someone greatly revered by the church, down through the centuries, a prominent figure in Christianity, who never actually met the Master Jesus. So it just goes to show that, you know, you can be such an important part of the organization, the religion founded by this great master, and not even have to have met them at all. Yes, and think how many people must have met Jesus and treated him very badly. So well, yeah. just meeting and knowing are, are two very different things. I'd like to, a thought occurred to me uh, just before this interview, actually, with the, the question, um, can we know a master we haven't met? Another question is, can we know a master at all? Uh, what does know mean um, in a in a sort of everyday parlance kind of a way? Then I think we can know or begin to know a master. But knowledge, you know, in its highest sense, is a deep meditative state, profound state of realization. And masters are, um, well, if someone is your master, then by, by definition, they must be a much deeper person than you, or there'd be no point in them being your master. So it's, I think it's very much a continuum, this question of knowledge, of knowing a master. You can begin to know a master. Can you ever fully know a master? I, I don't think probably you can. I don't think you can ever fully, this is just my opinion here, but I don't think you can fully know a being who is much more advanced than you, because if you could know uh, them in that way, then you would be as advanced as them. But then on the other hand, you could look at it in a, in a, in a more positive way, that by striving to know them, Obviously, we are becoming uh, less distant, shall we say, from their level of advancement. We're, we're coming, we're just getting that little bit closer to what they're like, however distant that may nevertheless be. Absolutely. It, it reminds me of the parable of the blind man and the elephant. I think it originated in India some hundreds of years before the coming of the the Christ, actually. Um, it was a group of blind men, apparently, who had never come across an elephant before and who learned what it's like by touching it. And each blind man may feel a different part of the elephant's body, but only one part, such as the, the side or the tusk or the tail. 
they then describe the elephant based on their experience and their descriptions of the elephant. And they're very, very different from each other. And people, we have a tendency, I think, to claim the truth based on our own limited subjective experience, ignoring other people's experiences. So I think this is relevant here because all the different people who met our master um, saw him from their own limited viewpoint. Um, some people knew him better, obviously. Some people may be more perceptive or enlightened to have a better understanding. But none of us, as you well say, Mark, can know the whole truth. No, absolutely. Uh, it is, um, I mean, for me, I've been listening to these um the the stories just as you've described like about the uh, the blind people with the elephant i've been listening to stories like that about our master for well decades now in fact um and it's um you know if you just heard one of them you could be i think you could be quite a way out in the assumptions you would make about what he was like in other ways but if you hear lots of them, if you hear lots of different people who knew him to varying degrees, um, different degrees, uh, you hear lots of these stories. And also over the course of his life, not just at the very end or the very beginning, you do begin to, um, I think you can, you can benefit from that sort of closeness uh, that they had to him yourself just by, by hearing what happened. But I'd also say a word of warning, though it's quite obvious really, is that people's memories are not perfect. And sometimes people might remember the things they want to remember more than the things that they don't. And um, little errors can creep in with people's recollections. So we should, we should bear that in mind and you know, not necessarily take everything as gospel that we hear. Um, but I, I feel personally that overall I have benefited a tremendous amount from hearing these things even if the odd little mistake is made um, here or there it makes you feel actually um, so lucky though that you know given these you know the, how given, given what word of mouth how frail a thing it is how lucky we are that you know we've got so much uh, of, down on record of what the master actually did what he actually said recorded verbatim what he actually wrote unedited um even footage video footage of him um so you know we can see uh what he believed in how he behaved um and and get that you know a bit of a glimpse into his personality well absolutely and and while you were talking mark about you know his how enlightened he was and how far above us, so how can we really understand him, which we can't. But one thing that struck me was that um, once I, w I used to do the commemorations, so actually I still do the formats when I was in London when the master was there, and one day he said to me, because um, we had to check everything with him, everything you did, every, you know, he was very hands-on, involved with everything. And one day he told me, and I know he's told other people this too, to make sure all the ministers stress the fact that the cosmic masters are living, breathing, deep-feeling, sensitive, loving beings, far more sensitive and deep-feeling than we are, but still living, breathing beings like us, he said. So I, I always think it's while we know that he was so far advanced, we also have to remember that he is 
this living, breathing, feeling intelligence who sacrificed so much to be born in an earth physical body, crushed into this body and mental structure that was so limiting in comparison with his great interplanetary intelligence and level of enlightenment. But still, he was, and one thing I want to say is that he was, as a person, as a man, more human than any of us. He was the most real person I have ever met. And so there's that sort of dichotomy that's great enlightenment, but he certainly wasn't remote in any way. So that's a well, I think yeah. Well, I think that's a very inspiring message. And, and it, but it's one thing to recognise that he's not remote when you can see him. Um, right. This may still be difficult. I appreciate that to some degree. Um, but when you when you don't see him, when you will never see him, um, then you know that there's a, a sort of temptation to uh, be over overwhelmed by that the prospect of that remoteness. And you mentioned his limitation when he was here. Well, of course, presumably he's not under that kind of limitation where he is now. We don't know where he is or what he's doing, but uh, I'd be very surprised if he was in such a, a basic state as fourth aspect at this time. So we are dealing with an intelligence. When he was here, a part of him, kind of a part of him was a bit, like us. I mean, he, he, for example, he had a terrestrial brain. He didn't have an alien brain. Um, he had the same brain that we have. Whereas now, um, God knows what kind of brain he must have. Um, and he is, you know, is this great being that we can never fully fathom. But I suppose what I'm trying to say is that that shouldn't stop us trying. And the more yeah, we try... The, 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 exactly. the, the more success we'll get. Exactly. And as I say, he did stress the fact that we, he was very passionate about that. He stressed the fact that we should not regard the cosmic masters as, you know, so far above us. You know, he wanted us to know that about him too. I, you know, obviously it must apply to him too. So, um yeah, I know it's difficult when you haven't met them, but of course we haven't met the other cosmic masters, and he wanted us to realize that fact, you know, that they are like us, but so, so far above us. Yes, it's a, it's a sort of difficult balancing act that for us, isn't it, to not be, um, to be, to be duly reverential and yet um, to feel that closeness, um, and when when we do feel that closeness, it, 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 even if it's just a little bit, it is a wonderful feeling. Um, and I'm sure that many of our listeners have experienced this. Um, it, it's, it's another thing I was thinking about shortly before the show is to to know, to be able to know or begin to know, let's say, a master whether it be our master or any other master, including those who communicated through him, such as Mars Sector 6. This is, this is a fantastic opportunity for us. But as with any opportunity, it's also a test. So it's not just a privilege for us to be able to know a master. It's our duty to go out of our way to try to know a master, so that we can emulate their example on Earth. 
exactly. That's a very, very important point. Um, and also to, to, to build that relationship, as you said earlier, through you know, studying the teachings, through emulating the master, being, you know, increasing your dedication. But also to, I think, to um, work, this is, sounds strange, but sort of work on the relationship aspect too, to nurture the relationship, I think, yeah. is important too with the master. Like with any relationship, um, that is important. And our master actually talked about that when he, in an old cosmic voice, about uh, an article about friendship, which he wrote. Um, he said, friendship is like a flower planted by two or more people. All the, all the planters of that flower have to tend this fragrant blossom of friendship, although obviously our relationship with the master isn't friendship as such, but it's still a relationship, a very, very high one, a very precious one. And I think the same would apply. Do you not, Mark, that we have yes, to tend Yes, I, I do. I think uh, the phrase quality time springs to mind, and we should make quality time to spend... Um, well, not exactly with them in a normal sense, but as as much with them as po the master as possible. And we can do this, um, and I'm, I don't even mean now just practicing his teaching, so that's vitally important to the relationship. Um, but uh, or, but actually, just concentrating on him as an individual um, through. Uh, studying perhaps the teachings that pertain to him particularly. Like uh, one of my favorite um, addresses is the men who won Operation Carmelite for you, which Wonderful. reveals so much about, well, about virtually about everything that's ever mattered. I'd say it's um, <laughs> it, it, certainly with regards to the nature of the adepts and to beings from other planets in general. It's a very moving um, address. And it, 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 if the more we think about things like that, where he's talking to things that are talking about things which are obviously very close to home, as it were, for him, and we try to think about what does he mean about himself? Why is he saying that? Whereas if we listen to a lecture, say, on the pendulum, it may be very interesting and even profound, and it will tell us something about him, but not the same amount. Um, another example springs to mind is his uh, lecture on uh, the uh, freedom of being uh, interplanetary. And I listened to um, all of the lectures not so long ago, uh, listened to them all a couple of times, actually, within quite a short space of time. And I don't know if it's my imagination or what, but he seems to sort of really engage in that lecture more. I mean, he's engaged in all the lectures, but there seems to be a certain sparkle to that lecture. And it makes you wonder, well, is that because he's, he's talking about home? He's talking mm. about what he really is, his true nature. Be like, I mean, if I had to live with... Um, uh, orangutans in the jungle um, for, 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 for 50 years um, and then the conversation came up of well what's it like in London I think I'd be pretty excited to talk about it you see what I mean <laughs> yes. um, yeah. and, and the, the sort of um, 
how can I put it? It's just there's just something it's hard to put your finger on, but it's, it happens so often actually with the cosmic masters. There's something about the way they say things where you just know it's true. Yeah. And I think it's because they know it's true. And again, that word know, they know it in, in the highest sense, really, as far as we're concerned. They have knowledge in a way that we just are not yet able to know things. Absolutely. That's a very good point, Mark, yes. I just Absolutely. stumbled across a quote, actually, as we were talking about... Um, it's almost exactly what you said, Chrissy, in fact, but it's the... Uh, oh, let me double-check. I think it's the Master of Theorists. Yes, it's the Master of Theorists. Uh, he says, We are not remote. We are not people without feeling. If any of you in the physical body who hears this saw a small child knocked down and run over, great would be your anguish. I hope, most sincerely, you never see this, but as deep as your anguish would be to see such a terrible thing, our anguish, our anguish would be 15 million times greater. It would be manifested in a different way. We would not indulge in emotional demonstration, but deep, deep, under the very core of us, would that tra tragedy strike. No, we are not without compassion. Even so, we may not come en masse among you until you give us the sanction, not with your brain, with your heart, not with your intellect, but with your innermost realization. So there we have an example. It is, it is uh, an example again of the the depth of these beings that they have. Well, in this example anyway, they have 15 million times more feeling. So how can you fully know a being with 15 million times more feeling? You can't, but you can try and you can make uh, great progress. I think, towards that goal. Absolutely. It reminds me, actually, as you were saying that, of the, you mentioned the karmic link earlier. And we also mm. know that when we send our love to a great master, that love is returned to us with an aspect of that master's love, power, his essence, if you like. Um, so I was thinking that when we do send our love to our master, to the cosmic masters, as living, breathing intelligences, just as you've described... We, we know that we will receive back, um, uh, you know, from them an aspect. That's another sort of way of, of, of getting closer, if you like, to these great ones and realizing that they're not remote. If we open our hearts to them and offer our, our love, because they are so wonderfully sensitive and advanced and tremendous feeling, that we will receive back this from them. This is a fantastic gift, I think. Well, it, yeah, it, it's 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 such a wonderful promise. Uh, to be honest, I, I kind of I, I struggle to properly believe it. I, I do believe it, um, and it makes sense. Um, but it's you know it's a bit like something like the the almost like uh, well, so many there's so many examples actually, but of things that just seem so wonderful and such a great promise. Um, that it almost seems too good to be true. Um, and yet, I think anyone who has practiced this to some degree can vouch for the fact that they have had some glimpse that this really is literally 
the case. It's like so many things on the spiritual path, I think particularly on ours, perhaps, Chrissy, is that, you know, so many of these things seem so fantastical um, and difficult to accept. And the only way to really know these things is to practice the teachings as much as we can until our, our whole way of thinking resonates with truth. I just found a quote, actually, Chrissy, from um, from the beginning of the eighth blessing. Well, it's the Master Saint Guling in his Prelude to the Eighth Blessing. Uh, he says, "It is a certain fact that if a man builds up a path through the ether and sends upon this path his love and blessings towards Master, he receives great power, which is sent back along the same path as that he used in the first place." This is a metaphysical fact and can be proven beyond all doubt to he who is willing to give up time and energy to this practice. Such a one is indeed forging the strong foundations of a bridge for himself that he may use this to cross into the realms of light. So such a simple thing, isn't it? And, and yet, uh, yet such a powerful thing. Absolutely. Um, how do you know? I know what you're saying about it's hard to really take that on board. Although you believe it, it's hard to really take it on board. Well, it, I'm like yeah, you. It's kind I'm, of... I'm not. Yeah, I'm not one of those people that easily has faith in faith in things. But I just a couple of years ago, um, I had I started doing this sort of practice in front of my altar at home. Of after my prayers, I, I kind of just sit in front of the master's photograph and offer him my thanks and so on. And sort of, I've realized recently that what I've been doing is nurturing that relationship. And I'm not one of those people that says, oh, I heard anything from the master, and I don't. But he has become more accessible. Let's put it that way. I feel his presence more. Um, just by regularly doing it every day for several years. So just want to throw well, that I think out. That's, yeah, I think, well, I think that's a very, uh, very inspiring idea. Um, and that's an example of that, spent, you know, that putting that quality time into developing this relationship. And you're someone who worked with um, our master, presumably socialized with him as well um, right. yeah. uh, mm-hmm. at times. Uh, and But it's been, gosh, how long has it been? It's um, been, has it really been 23 years since he passed away? Yes, but I think I realized, um, after, you know, after he passed away, I carried on with his work and, and so on, but kind of, being really honest here, kind of lost the link a bit, that relationship, mm. and it was a memory, and I realized, then I had this realization, it's got to be more than that, so I started to do this, and uh, it really has uh, helped me to sort of main, maintain the relationship in a stronger way. If you, know, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so this topic really, I mean, originally the idea was this was a topic for people who had never met um, our master. Um, but actually, the, the essence of, of this topic really applies to everyone. Everybody. Whether they met him once, never, or lived with him for 30 years. Um, it's, and however well they knew him when he was here, uh, we can we can all learn to know him more. Um, that's yeah. you know the nature of discipleship, really, isn't it? It it doesn't end. Exactly, it doesn't end, right? 
He's like our lodestar leading us on. It's like we never get there, but it's a it's a journey. Yes, a yes, exactly, journey. exactly. Um, yeah. So I think maybe... Have, I'm sorry, carry on. Yeah, no, you, no, you go on. No, I was going to talk about a little bit about lineage and apostolic oh, yeah, succession please. and other ways that we can know the master through, um, you know, giving more to the Ethereum society, being more active, joining the staff if you wish to. And through that, and that you have the opportunity, uh, as you and I have, Mark, of um, gaining the apostolic succession with the master, um, which every bishop, for example, in the Catholic Church can trace their lineage um, right back from bishop to bishop to bishop, down through the centuries, all the way back to one of the apostles. Um, and apparently this lives once given for as long as that person, for as long as they exist, not only on this physical plane. Um, the ecclesiastical structure of the Assyria's churches has a similar succession, but a, a very elevated order formulated in a telepathic communication between his eminence, Sir George King, and the Lord Babaji, the spiritual and political head of the spiritual hierarchy of earth. And this, this succession includes, we are told, well, we know the Master Jesus, the Master St. Peter, and other prominent cosmic masters. So it's very elevated indeed. Yeah, as if we as if we even really needed any other masters. Uh, you know, I mean, you think if, you, if you've got the apostolic succession of uh, His Eminence Sir George King, you really think that should be enough for anyone to be getting along with. But as so often is the case with the Ethereum Society, we're spoilt. Um, yes. yeah, we've got so many opportunities, so much wisdom, so many practices. None of well, I, I haven't interviewed everyone on this, but I very much doubt anyone does all of the practices. Um, at least not regularly, because there are so many of them, so many mantras. We've been given, you know, reams and reams of um, profound cosmic truths. And, you know, there's a danger to become a bit sort of blasé about it, whereas, you know, no disrespect to them, but some other organizations just simply do not have. Um, you know, they may have one, one text, for example, that's very, very old and possibly been corrupted over time um, and possibly elements of which are out of date, whereas we really, are, we, we really just have so much. And that's another thing to, um, I think that can help us to, to know our master is a feeling of gratitude, to acknowledge what he did and to feel grateful. Because how can you have a good relationship where one person's always doing the giving and the other person doesn't even say thank you or doesn't even feel gratitude. Um, so it's, it sounds you know, it's quite a basic thing, quite an obvious thing, but do we do it enough? No, uh, it, that's it, a it, very, very good point. Because just to sit down and have a contemplation about just what our master gave to us, not just to the world, but to us personally. And some of the things are so thoughtful, like, for example, the holy stone shapes. He brought virtually the holy mountains as a small part of them into our homes. You know, so thoughtful. And just that, I think, by contemplating all that he has given, constantly giving every day of his life, uh, that, I think, definitely, I agree with you, Mark, you will get to know and understand this great master even more. 
it's 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 almost overwhelming, though, isn't it? I mean, all the things that he's done, and they're just the things we know about. I mean, the list is so endless, um, and it, it it takes. I think, I think you know, it's easy in a way to just believe things. Say, oh yes, he did that. He did that. He did that. But it's much more difficult to really think about things and try to understand them. And really uh, appreciate them. I think that's the word I'm looking for. Appreciate. There's. I don't have it in front of me, unfortunately, but I'm pretty confident that this is maybe not an exact quote, but quite close. Is when our master said that um, just as the yogi of old would force himself into all sorts of uncomfortable positions, we should force ourselves into an appreciation of Operation Blue Water. So it's a, kind of a strange concept to, to force yourself to appreciate something. But I think, uh, you know, we certainly have to uh, demonstrate some control over our lower selves to appreciate these things. Because it's, it's so devastating, really. In a, in a, I mean, it's incredibly inspiring, but it's also devastating just how helpless we would have been without the Cosmic Masters, which is our own fault, um, we didn't need to be that helpless. If we'd been behaving correctly for a few thousand years, we wouldn't be in this kind of mess that we're in now, and we wouldn't have been in the mess that we were in uh, at the time of Blue Water. So I think similarly, just thinking about him, there's, you know, we have to. it can be quite difficult to really accept, properly accept, how great he was, um, how great cosmic masters are in in general, in fact, even, never mind him, to really accept that because there's only one logical consequence to our way of thinking is that we work harder to emulate that in our own lives. And that's a threat to the, the lower self, the conscious mind. Um, but it's a key to our freedom and enlightenment it really is. It's something that you said a little earlier, Mark, I thought it was very interesting that sometimes we have to force ourselves to understand and appreciate things. I think that's such an important point because we're, in this world, we're just, we kind of, we think that we have to sort of feel good about something, you know, before we do yes, it. Yes, absolutely. Remember, yeah, that's such an important point. I remember when the Saturn mission started in England, um, the master got us all to learn about boats and, you know, I knew nothing about boats. I had no interest whatsoever in boats. And I believe, I'm, I could be wrong here, that we had like tests and so on, but we had to read books. But I don't remember all the details. But I remember how it's like, wow, have I got to learn about this? You know, but I can see now and it's what you said because just learning a little bit about boats as I did, um, I got to appreciate them. And now I, I enjoy, you know, knowing about different types of boats and all this. And it's like anything else, you have to force through your lower self. And we don't like to do that on this earth. No, we don't. And uh, well, it's—I mean—if we were in a discipline like if we were mathematicians or scientists or what have you, it would be taken as quite normal that you know you're going to have to, unless you're a very very rare individual, you're going to have to spend some time doing the grunt work, forcing. So I, mean, I remember doing when I studied Chinese at university. I mean, there was—I I loved it. I was interested in it, but there was an awful lot of grunt work 
and the only way to get through it and to be successful is is to, to to force yourself to do it even when you're bored or it's difficult or you'd rather be doing something else and unfortunately although that's understood in this world in a material way it doesn't seem to be very well understood in a spiritual way and there's um an awful lot of this kind of oh well yeah as you said chrissy do what feels good and you know um go with the flow i mean going with the flow can be a good thing but it depends how you understand what the flow is and a lot of spiritual work is actually going against the flow against the flow of normal terrestrial standards and conditioning going against the flow of materialism that's all around us and going with a different flow, the flow of God and our own higher aspects. But we're not so used to doing that and it's not so comfortable doing that. So yes, we should do what feels right, but feels right to our higher selves, not what feels good to our most basic natures. Um, And this is something I think that uh, our master really embodied is you know this focus on effort discipline getting on with the job being practical uh, being very down to earth straight talking um not emotional at least not emotional in a basic way uh, higher emotion controlled emotion and these things are so unusual in the new age movement and often when i i listen to him i just think People just aren't like that. People just aren't. It, it's a hard thing to put into words, but it's just. I mean, one 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 revelation to me was looking at a chronology, and I mean, it's just thing after thing after thing after thing that he was doing, writing books, giving lectures, uh, God knows what else. And one thing that made a particular impression on me is that the the location of the American headquarters changed during the alien mission so i mean moving house is a difficult thing isn't it Um, it's very stressful it's very disruptive now imagine moving your headquarters during the alien mission and and to various it's a whole other subject what the alien mission is but even just taking the transmissions alone any terrestrial, well, a terrestrial wouldn't be in that position, but just hypothetically, I think any terrestrial would just think, look, I've got enough on my plate. This headquarters we're at is fine for now. We can move when I've got this alien mission done. You know what I mean? But he wasn't like yeah. that. It just, it, it, it just took on thing after thing after thing. And there's literally, other than the absolute limits of endurance, there was, there was no limit to what he'd do. He wasn't like us, or well, certainly uh, like me, and I'm sure you resonate with this too, Chrissy. Yes. That sort of like, I've done, I've done enough for now. You know, I'm, I'm going to... I've done my bit for today. Um, he was just wanting to do as much as he possibly could and caring about us far, far more than we care about ourselves. I know, absolutely, it's so true. Um, there was no limits. I, he was when he was sent to the Americas for the first time, you know, um, and for Operation Starlight phases, and to, he, he set up the American headquarters and the Michigan branch. But people seem to think, I think, 
some may think that because he worked with the cosmic master, somehow he was helped in that way. But I remember um, I used to speak to Keith Hope Robertson, who was with him on those America, those, some of those phases and so on. And uh, he told me how, well, I think we know it's in print too, that when he went uh, to the Americas, he had no money. I think he had one suit. And he arrived in the Americas. So what did he do with no money? He started going around giving lectures. He gave hundreds of lectures. Unbelievably, I think when you look at the list mark, it's like almost one night after the other. He hardly stopped. And he didn't have anyone to sort of do his promotion or anything like that. How did he find the people? How did he find the venues? All that takes time, as we know. And, yeah, uh, it's, it's just, just mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling. mind-boggling. There's a little story I remember. Um, I met the uh, I met his niece once, um, and um, she remembers when she was a little girl, spending a little bit of time with him. And there was one one thing she said to me was that um, he was going to take a transmission later that day, probably in the evening. And he went and met them in the car to pick them up from the station. And you just think, you know, he went to pick his mother and his niece up in the car from the station. I mean, what an act of humility. And, uh, and I mean, well, obviously to people like us, the idea of taking a transmission is completely unimaginable as it is. But as, as far as we can try to imagine it, the thought of having the the humility, the patience, um, the calm to, 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 to go and do a thing like that before you're about to have some great master talk through you. Um, I mean, it, it just sort of, it, it beggars belief. It's, it's funny, you know, with the ethereal side, the people that people, it, the things that people find hard to believe on first glance without properly understanding them are things like Jesus was from Venus um, uh, and things like that that sort of make headlines that might sound quite far out. But actually, the thing that's really hard to believe for me, uh, and it's a work in progress, is believing and appreciating just how good these beings are that there's literally, literally nothing that they would not do for us uh, that doesn't, unless it goes against the karmic law. Nothing, absolutely nothing. They will go to the absolute nth degree, regardless of personal suffering, effort, sacrifice. They will do whatever without question. And that is, you know, that's unfortunately, that is truly alien to us. But again, through building this relationship with um, the cosmic masters or with one master in particular, we can just begin slowly but surely to to foster that goodness, that unbelievable goodness within us. Well, that's yeah, that's a very important point, Mark. Thanks for bringing that up. I mean, it's so true. There's a race of people who know nothing about them, care nothing, uh, and yet. They give their all and more. Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. Inspiring. And, Very inspiring. and they all do. You don't ever get a, a bad egg or one who messes it up. They, 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 they're winners. They succeed and they give their all. I mean, it's perhaps uh, in some ways easier to understand the, the life and mission of the Master Jesus um, than our Masters. Um, but there you have an example um, 
sort of right in your face of you know, terrible suffering, sacrifice, complete love for people who treated him even worse than people uh, treated our master. And um, I think it's interesting that in Christianity, it's especially it seems, um, that now um, a lot of Christians will talk about Jesus uh, living within them, within their hearts or however they put it. And I think sometimes people probably talk about it when maybe they don't really know much about it. But it is possible for that to happen, certainly, even for a very orthodox kind of a believer, could have a genuine, quite profound relationship with the Master Jesus, where it is, in a sense, of that Master living within them. And But the thing that probably most Christians would not agree with is that this doesn't just apply to Jesus. It applies to any master, any cosmic master, any avatar, um, any great master at all, in fact, if they're a genuine master. And it certainly applies to our master. And I'd like to see um, this develop more in our, in our teachings, because it's certainly something that he didn't talk about any more than that extract that I read out, which is a slightly different point anyway. But I think his humility, I think, would have probably, um, well, certainly put him off talking like, like I'm talking now. Um, but it's, it's an obvious thing uh, that we can and should let him into our hearts. Again, it's not just an opportunity, but it's actually a duty as well. Um, but it's, it's a very... I want to say it's a very pleasant duty, I think, to develop a relationship with, well, a being that is not only so good, for, for using a very inadequate word there, but also so utterly fascinating. Yes. Um, his knowledge, what he did, his experiences, and just what he was like, Chrissy. I mean, he was—he was a well. You—you you tell me. I mean, did, how did you find being around him? It must have been a quite quite a special experience, to put it mildly. Uh, yeah, it's hard to un explain. Really, I suppose the first time I ever met him, I'd heard about him from my relatives. I had two relatives, actually three relatives, who were members, and uh, I heard about him a lot. But the first time I met him, um, I, it was extraordinary because I think other people have had the same experience. He's at the top of the stairs at Sirius House, and I was at the bottom of the stairs. And for some reason, I suddenly was empowered, because I was very shy then. And I walked up the stairs boldly and stuck out my hand and introduced myself, and he just repeated my name. It's like somehow he knew me, which, of course, I don't know if he did. But And then after that, I, he called me to his office later, and um, I used to be kind of into psychic things, and... I was very interested in people, I was an astrologer, and I thought I could get a little understanding of him. And he knew what I was doing, and he put like a block. It was a friendly thing, there was a twinkle in his eye, but I knew exactly. And from that moment on, I realized, really realized that he was so much greater than me and anyone I'd <laughs> ever met that I could never get a true understanding of him. Yeah, uh, well, it's, wow. it's, uh, it's, it's like uh, it's reading a book that never ends, isn't it, really? 
yeah. I mean, even people who, who I mean, listen to the, 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 the stories from the authors of the biography, uh, Richard Lawrence and Brian Kneep, and I mean, they, they've both commented on how much, you know, they feel they understand more now um, than, than, than they did when, when he was actually among us. Exactly. And there's so much. As you've covered a lot today, Mark. We can listen to his lectures, addresses, read his books and articles. We can hear his voice. We can get to know him through listening to others who met him. We can read his biography that you've just brought up, The King Who Came to Earth. But I think one of the most important things that we've discussed today is this relationship, this nurturing of allowing him to live within our hearts. I think it's a lovely concept, Mark. Yeah, it's something. Um, yeah, I think it's 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 got to be a work in progress. I think it's a it's a difficult thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a bit like well, like so, <laughs> I don't know if you feel this too, Chris, but I often find I have a, a real sort of lower self resistance against doing the practices, and then when I do them, I enjoy them. I feel much better, and I think, well, why didn't I want to do them? You know, but it's just it's that's just the way our our minds work. So, and I think one way of getting through that is to focus very much on the positive of you know this wonderful thing that we can have of understanding uh, that little bit better. You know, this great extraterrestrial being. Um, I mean, what could be more fascinating, really, than understanding a higher life form from another planet who was also and is also a, uh, you know, a, a living, breathing, feeling intelligence, just like you, you were commenting earlier on, Chrissy. He's a real, I hesitate to use the word person, but because it doesn't seem grand enough a word, but he is a real intelligence with you know thoughts and feelings like any other intelligence, just on a higher level than than, than us, which raises another question that um, fascinates me a great deal: is how much is he aware of us? What does you know? How intimately involved is he in the Ethereum society now? Given obviously karmic limitation, preventing him from directly intervening in everyday life but how much how close is he to us and um, it might be closer than we think which is um, quite an awe-inspiring thought is it not when you think about how very hands-on he was with every single thing uh, it wouldn't be surprising at all if he's very aware no it, it, yeah I, that's that's sort of where, where my thoughts tend tend to tend to lean um, I'd just like to end with with one one last thought. One thing I don't think we've 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 touched on too much is the importance of work. I mean, that was really his ethic, wasn't it? Working for God. And yeah. uh, we've talked a lot about the Bhakti side, devotion, and the feelings, and and that's all absolutely essential and a wonderful thing. But I think I'd be confident in saying that as far as he, he was concerned, our number one priority should always be spiritual work, hard work. And that by doing that, we can you know, understand him all the better, really, because that's what he would have done. But if we do that hard work and also think about him at the same time, as in, insofar as we can, uh, without undue distraction, then I think we can get even more out of our karma yoga. 
I think that's a very good point. We are, he did after all, call us the spiritual commando force. So I like to think we're the spiritual boots on the ground. We're working hard. <laughs> to yeah, help absolutely. Mankind. So I think we're drawing well, to an so end, much. are we not? We're coming to an end. Well, thank you so much, Mark. This has been a fascinating show. And um, I hope you'll come on in the not too distant future again. And let's hand over now to our producer for the closing announcements. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chrissy and Mark. What a fascinating show. You've been listening to Aetherius Radio Live with your host, Chrissy Blaze and Mark Bennett. And they were discussing, can you know a master you've never met? Of course, if you've listened this far, you know that there's so many other gems in this show. It's archived and you can listen to it again at Body, Mind, Spirit Radio. The next Aetherius Radio Live show will be in October. The date's still to be announced, but it will be an exciting episode with your host, Richard Lawrence, who will be joined by his guest, Brian Knipp, and they will be discussing the timing of the Saturn mission. Of course, it's going to be packed with great information, too, so you won't want to miss that. But until then, please do continue to support the live-streamed and online services being held by the Aetherius Society at aetherius.org. These services are designed to send spiritual energy, healing, and love to our world, which I'm sure you will agree is greatly needed at this difficult time. So do please join in with the Aetherius Society and with other like-minded people from around the world for those services. We um, want to welcome, I'm sorry, uh, we also want you to visit Aetherius.org to provide you with details of the intensive program and extra online services and live streaming from its temples in London and Los Angeles. Together with its regular weekend online 12 Blessings services at 12blessings.org. Further information and full details of various publications and audio, many of the titles that um, were mentioned on today's show, are available as ebooks, CDs, and downloads. And those can be t- obtained at Aetherius.org. We hope you enjoyed listening to the show, and we look forward very much to you joining us in October. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.